0: Your hair. Oh, God. Cast oh God, Party <laughs> is an
1: open mic night slash variety show for the Broadway, Jazz, Cabaret, Pop, Folk, Rock, Didgeridoo, Klezmer, Zydeco, Calypso, R&B, Hip and Hop, Death Metal, Soul, Benga, K-Pop, Americana, Disco Polo, I just heard about that, Dixieland, Smooth Jazz, Fado, Acid Jazz, Thrash, Tango, Skate Punk, Gregorian Chant, Glam, Ska, Ventriloquial, Communities. And as I've said every single Monday for 18 years, except for 17 months, that we won't discuss any further, you're about to hear some of the greatest performers in the world on this stage tonight. (laughs) Also other people.
2: something that I'd like to bring to you. Wrapped all in cellophane, designed for you. Tell you what it's all about. This is without a doubt swinging the latest style. Service with a smile If you wanna swing and shout Kick your heels and get about I'm an errand boy for rhythm Send me Just get hip and follow through I'll deliver straight to you I'm an errand boy for rhythm Send me You can always find me down at Smokey Joe's That's where all the hip and groovy people go if you want variety, take a tip and come on me. I'm an errand boy for them all. Send me...
3: Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, September 12th, 2021. My name is James Marino and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia, Janet Tessa Fox, and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Hello. And uh, we got our Hugh Jackman version of Encore Monthly in the mail this week, didn't we?
4: yes we did yes we did uh, so uh, a, a good issue with um with a nice article by charles Kirsch, that young man we've talked about from time to time so uh check it out what did you write i wrote an article about intermissions um what they have been what they might be <laughs> the absence thereof so uh little stories about intermission adventures too so and uh, we've all had those
3: <laughs> uh, Jenna Tessa-Fox and I were talking about uh, Passover, which we're going to get into later on today. But uh, if Passover had an intermission, a lot of people were going to go out and go drinking <laughs> at I'll the say. Russian vodka place right next to our right, Jenna? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> also with us is Jenna Tessa-Fox. Jenna's been writing about theater for more than 10 years at numerous publications, including Playbill, Broadway World, Time Out, and Howl Round. She's a voting member of the Drama Desk Awards and is a contributor to Broadway Radio. Hello, Jenna.
5: Good morning. How are
3: you doing? Oh, We're well. Uh, it's a little bit too early to go drinking at the Russian Vocket Place, but we'll talk about that. It's
5: never too <laughs> early for the Russian Vocket
3: Place. <laughs> <laughs> also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of CastAlbumReviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at FollowSpotPhoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello. So with us... We got through the list of uh, our hosts, but we have a very special guest with us this morning. Jim Caruso is with us. Yay! Yay. Jim made his Broadway debut alongside Liza Minnelli in a smash hit, Lies at the Palace, singing and dancing and celebrating the music and arrangements of the late and great Kay Thompson and the Williams Brothers. So the show was honored with a 2009 Tony Award for Best Special Event, and the recording was nominated for a Grammy, so... Jim, how mm-hmm. are you?
1: <laughs> I am so. First of all, thank you for inviting me, mm-hmm. James, Peter, Michael, Jenna.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's it's what a great way to start a Sunday morning.
3: I can't believe we've not had you on. We, uh, so we were talking before the show. We we mentioned you all the time on Broadway Radio, and uh, for some reason we've never actually gotten you here on a Sunday morning. So th- it's wonderful. You? I know. <laughs> I know. What I hang my head I wasn't thinking I was young. I needed the money. (laughs) Uh, So Jim, what is going on uh, in in the world of Jim Caruso and uh, how, you know, we've seen all of your virtual shows and stuff that you've been doing during the pandemic. How is everything going for you?
1: Well, at the moment, knock on everything. Things are going really well. Uh, After, what was it 18 months uh, Mm. we reopened birdland uh, which is the the place where I've been for 18 years uh, booking the Broadway series and uh, hosting an event every single Monday night called cast party so it was a very quiet 18 months for me as I know it was for everybody Uh, although I, I started doing an online variety show called Pajama Cast Party. Get it? <laughs> um, because everybody was coming to me from their their homes and their sofas and their stuff, singing for me, and uh, that was a complete joy and a blast, and um, really got me through the pandemic. Uh, just personally, it was it was a real uh, project of of love and togetherness and seeing my friends and all of that stuff. But now we're back at Birdland every Monday doing cast party. We started doing concerts um, upstairs and downstairs in our new theater. Well, it's really not new, but it's new to us. It's been about two and a half years Mm -hmm. uh, at the Birdland theater. And now we're back up and running, doing everything we always did before. Couldn't be happier. (laughs)
4: All right. Now, um, when do you go out uh, looking for shows? Do they come to you? Is it a mixture of both? I would imagine it would be. um, But I'm really thinking specifically of when uh, the Nutty Professor was done there. Uh, Holmes, um, terrific presentation. um, Great fun for the show. And uh, tell me about that and um, other policies where it comes to booking well it peter as you said it's it's a
1: good mixture of both um i go after people i go after shows i email tweet instagram tiktok uh really talented people that i know and and direct message them and and certainly call friends of mine who are ridiculously talented but that specific show uh came to us because uh of our great friend clea blackhurst Ah. who had been one of the stars of that show in um, atlanta wasn't it nashville i think oh nashville you're right somewhere Mm -hmm. in tennessee yes that's right uh and uh, she said you know this is a great show and it's not it hasn't been getting its due and um you know she sent me some tapes and i was blown away by Mm -hmm. by the material and certainly Mm -hmm. her number just killed Mm -hmm. and i said if you can you know get the cast together let's do this and we did and it was
4: uh that was a great great night it sure was so uh, i'm inferring then that she brought um merman's apprentice to you as well that's right
1: yeah i mean anything clea says to me anything she suggests we do because she's the yeah she's just um she has great taste she's so much fun to work with Uh uh we love each other we we have a christmas show and a christmas album together with with billy stritch we just love Working with Clea, mm-hmm. and um, if if she says if she comes up with an idea, we are always ready to hear about it.
4: That hmm. that's wonderful, and uh, I imagine that the term merman's apprentice doesn't mean very much to uh, a lot of people out there, though there is an album. And, uh, but it, it, ironically enough, Stephen Cole, um, who did the, uh, show actually told me that, um, it was, a, a, a he, he saw something about a, a mermaid or something like that, a mermaid's apprentice, I think it was. And that's what spurred him to do that. But, um, um, in terms of being at the palace theater, playing the palace, I mean, that's the cliche that represents the gold standard. Uh, playing the palace, what it, a thrill that must have been.
1: It was, uh, oh my gosh, it was, um, that was, I would have to say, one of the best parts of my life. I would think um, so. Yeah. I would, first of all, we toured with the show that became Liza's at the palace for three years mm. all over the world. Uh, we'd go out for 10 days and come back. So I was able to uh, do all my birdland work, produce shows there every week and host most cast parties. Cause we were usually back on a Monday. We'd, we'd miss a few depending on how long we'd go out. But um, Liza doesn't like to go out for long periods of time. So it would either be five days or, you know, uh, 10 days at the very most. So I was always able to come back and, and I got to keep both jobs, which is crazy, but working at the palace, is um uh, i mean first of all with liza minnelli Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know (laughs) p.s there was that um singing with my friends uh cortez alexander and tiger martina and uh 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 well clark thorell was in in the act originally um was jim newman in that one no, 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 no. That was Manelli on Manelli. Oh, oh Manelli, right? Yes, which was ten years before right. uh, *Liza's uh-huh. at the Palace*. Um, and Billy Stritch, my best friend for the last forty years, at the piano and singing, oh. and um, singing the music of Kay Thompson, mm-hmm. right? Who yeah. I got to know and I became obsessed with. So the whole thing was like a a dream come true. <laughs> I couldn't have concocted a better
6: scenario. Well in the uh, late 90s uh, I was managing editor of In Theater magazine and we, yes, had, you we had yes and we had Liza as our guest editor but Jim was the uh what would you call yourself <laughs> the faci- the facilitator the and uh, and one know, of the things Jim for, did for that was he got together a wonderful article on K in which you I remember you talked to people like Andy Williams yeah mm-hmm. it, it was amazing that job
1: Michael, I don't know if you realize it, but before that, I had never had anything to do with magazines or other than, you know, to read them. Yeah. Um, but Good one she. day I was, I was at Eliza's house and she said, baby, I got this great new thing. And I said, what's that? And she said, uh, they asked me to to edit in theater magazine. I said, well, that's great. How do you do that? And she pointed to me. She said, you're going to do it. I said, What? What are you talking about? She said, well, we'll do it together. It'll be too VFG. And (laughs) it's like, okay, I don't know what that means. Uh, But we started making lists on her big yellow, you know, legal pads Mm -hmm. of of what she would, uh, what things she had in mind, what was on her mind, what she wanted to talk about, people she loved, her favorite acts, um, a a photo album that was just
0: Mm, amazing.
1: Amazing. I, I, actually I had I had gone through her whole photo archives wow. which was a billion photographs in steamer mm. trunks mm. and and organized all that for her because wow. I'm a real kind of anal Ooh. retentive. Wow. And uh, that was one of the greater projects. And so we had all of this stuff newly organized and so it it was that was a real joy and to talk to all those people who yes. had worked with Kate Thompson um who now most of them are are gone yes um but at the time it was uh comden and green and andy williams and um
6: i uh, got to talk with i forget why it was me who who did it but i got to talk with lena horn
2: yes
1: yes (laughs) exactly she's the one that said Kay thompson taught me to sing loud Huh. Yeah to to use to use what little
6: voice I had
4: <laughs> yes what little voice can you uh, imagine I I'd like to say that uh, Sam Irvin's biography Kay Thompson from Funny Face to Eloise is one of the greatest biographies I have ever read and I recommend it highly it is the Absolutely. only biography I have read. When I finished it, I started immediately again. And when I finished it, I started immediately again. I wrote th- I read it three times in a row. So It's really
1: true. It's really true. It's, it's a brilliant book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it starts with our show. The first paragraph talks about uh, Liza's at the palace. And he helped us so much with coming up with photographs uh, because there was no video of mm-hmm. Kay's sure. nightclub act with sure. the Williams brothers. Mm-hmm. And so we... Created this show through photographs,
0: Mm. uh,
1: and the choreography uh, was all done kind of concocting this this extravaganza extravaganza through photos and the poses that they that they uh, shot, and it was. I mean, what a! I also think that book was interesting because it it wasn't just show business because Kay had Kay was music, Kay was Mm -hmm. fashion. K was mm. movies, K was Broadway, K mm. was nightclubs. K was Eloise. K was Eloise, mm. yeah. books, <laughs> children's books. Um, it, uh,
4: it, what a fascinating human being. Uh, for those who don't know what we're talking about in terms of K. Thompson and the Williams brothers, Anyone can whistle's opening number. Lea <laughs> Angela Lansbury and the four backup singers was modeled on uh, the act that Kate Thompson had with um, with the Williams brothers, of which Andy was one. Um, uh, Birdland, um, you say you've been there eighteen years. Did you uh, reopen it? Was it open? Um, what was going on there? Oh, when I when I started there eighteen years ago. Yeah, was it? Oh open? no, it
1: was. It was going great guns. Uh-huh. Um, I started to do this event called Cast Party at another venue, and that venue, of course, closed. And then I did it a few other places, um, just kind of to test the waters. And Johnny Valenti, the owner of Birdland, called me out of the blue and said, uh, "I have uh, had a band here on Mondays for years. They've started to not pull very well." And I'm looking for something and I heard about you. And uh, would you come in and talk to me? And I thought, this is never going to work. This is, this is an iconic jazz club. What does he, he need my little, you know, mm-hmm. Broadway dog mm-hmm. and pony cocktail mm-hmm. show? Mm-hmm. Um, but I went in, we discussed, I told him what I thought I needed. He told me what he thought he needed. And we decided to do it for a month or two to see if it would work. And eighteen years later, I'm still there every Monday. Uh, it's been—I don't want to say a marriage made in heaven because we fight like a married
0: couple—but
1: mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it's been. Um, I mean that that room, Birdland, is is an iconic music room. It has the luxury of worldwide name recognition. Uh, you don't keep a music room open for so many years. Without the location, the lights, the sound, the food, the service—it's—it's it's just a dream venue, and um, I feel extremely lucky to have landed there. Mm-hmm.
3: I Could read you... that. Uh... Oh, oh, oh sorry. Sorry. Jenna, go ahead. Uh,
5: I was really impressed by the uh, the fundraiser earlier this year uh, that ran. Uh, a- when was that? January or March? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, it Beautiful. was January. That was January. I mean, wonderful piece. Can you talk a bit about uh, that fundraiser and uh, the artists that uh, came, you know have performed at Birdland and then came back to support the show again? Uh, what yeah. was that like?
1: That was crazy. Um, at one point, uh, Johnny Valenti, the owner, called me and he said, "I don't know between you and me how much longer I can." pay rent on a room that is closed right In the middle of manhattan uh and not just rent insurance electric i mean everything we taxes all had, taxes yeah. everything we all had except times a trillion uh, a, a business owner would have um and i said and he he was thinking he was going to have to shut down permanently and I said, we have to do something. We have, we cannot let this happen. Birdland has been entertaining people since 1947. Mm-hmm. And you're going to tell me some virus is going to shut us down? I don't think so. So I suggested we call Tom and Michael D'Angora, who had just had great luck with the uh, fundraiser for West Bank Café. And he didn't think that was a good idea. He's he's like me. He's Italian. He's very proud. He said, I don't want people knowing my business. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, well, then you're going to have a closed business. You're going to have a (laughs) you're going to be out of business. Uh, So he said, "Okay, call them and see what they think. They were on. They were in. And Susie Mosier was also a part of this conversation. Uh, She's they are all. Thick as Thieves, uh, Tom and Michael and Susie. And she really thought it would be a good idea. So we all got together, masked and, you know, in beekeeper outfits and gloves. And, you know, we just we discussed the the idea. Johnny signed off on it. And then, honestly, other than providing a couple numbers and some talent, the we just sat back and watched Michael and Tom Go to town. They created a show, uh, a GoFundMe, which was very successful, and then a, a telethon that ran for three hours um, with people like Bill Clinton and Clive Davis <laughs> and Whoopi Goldberg and every jazz star, every Broadway star that had ever been on our stage that we could find, um, cabaret legends uh just celebrities who are huge sting i mean what they performed they talked about what the the club means to the city and to them and you know once again show people save the world it was amazing uh,
3: uh jim i wanted to ask you uh uh, I, I had read that um, if you had a bird, you, uh, you would name it Gianni Valenti. Uh, <laughs> I uh, said that? You said that, yep. That is really creepy. Well, okay. it, it says that you said that. It's, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, DC Metro Theater Arts uh, said that you said that. Okay, um, well, but, they don't lie. But more seriously, um, how do you feel uh, – what is the intersection of jazz and Broadway? It seems that uh, lots of other uh, genres of music fail when trying to integrate into Broadway. Uh, you know, we don't have the great country western musical, but country western is probably the biggest music in America right now. Yeah. Uh, not and New York City has no country western radio station. But uh, how do you, how do you feel jazz integrates into Broadway so well? And and why is that?
1: Um, first of all, I think Birdland is a perfect music room. So to me, when I first got there and I started doing Cast Party, uh, I wasn't doing the Broadway series yet. And I, I couldn't see a reason at that point why this perfect stage with gorgeous sound and lighting and all everything that anybody would need, why that wasn't being open to a larger uh, audience. Uh, obviously jazz has a great audience and t- tons of followers, but my Broadway friends needed a perfect stage. My cabaret friends needed a perfect stage. As you said, country, I'm obsessed with country. It's what I mostly listen to. Uh, which surprises everybody.
3: I'm su- uh, I'm surprised about that. Yes. <laughs> I know I
1: love it. I'm obsessed with Winona, and uh I, I I I it's really my I don't know if it was my 18 years living in Dallas but, <laughs> but I do really love it. Um so I bring in country artists and country writers. Um I I just think music, good music is good music. I have never or I would say with cast party, we've rarely had people walk out because it's not straight-ahead jazz. Uh, because, as you know, when I do my opening at cast party, I talk all about the different genres of music. Sometimes it's—I know it's hard to hear through the peals of laughter—but <laughs> 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 I say, I say, you know, cast party is 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 a combination of Broadway, cabaret, jazz, pop, folk, rock, R and B, classical uh, uh, uh k pop you know you name it we've had them on that stage, and I just think it's silly to label a room one specific style when there's a huge audience out there for so many other things, and it's worked out on Mondays. you never know what you're gonna what i'm gonna book, whether it's country or comedy, Julie Halston talking for. You know, 90 Minutes uh, or or folk music or you don't know. Uh, the rest of the week at Birdland is, for the most part, jazz oriented because they have a built in audience. People,
0: mm-hmm.
1: people fly into New York, bring their luggage into Birdland from wherever they're coming from, Japan, Europe, uh, you know, all over the planet. Cause they want to hear jazz. So the room certainly doesn't want to uh, milk, kind of, you know, muddy the waters there. They want to stay a jazz room, but we opened the birdland theater downstairs. Mm. So it gives us another stage to do anything we want on, whether it's a review, uh, a comedian, a magician, a uh, uh, burlesque, Uh, You name it, we've done it down there. And to me, that's that's nightlife. And I think Johnny, the owner, has been pleased with broadening his audience.
4: All right. Now, what has been the show or shows that you said, well, all right, you know, we'll put it in fine. Yeah, right. okay. whoa, this turned out to be great. Oh, my (laughs) God. I never expected to be this successful. That's terrific. Good. Which um, anything come to mind? Oh, um
1: that's a really good and hard question i i guess i wouldn't book anything that i felt kind of lukewarm middling about is that a word uh sure uh, I, everything i i mean that's the cool thing about only having to do to book monday nights is uh i don't have to fill thursdays at noon and hmm. you know the hmm, yeah. strange times and awkward uh times that that sometimes happen in in these clubs uh i can really book people that i know and love and trust are going to show up and are going to do their job and and also help promote because as we all know cabaret and nightclub, uh, you know the clubs can do so much but if the performer isn't savvy with their own social media, it can be an empty room, and that's not fun for anyone.
6: So- I've been to the open mic many times at, at 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 cast party, and I have I have some amazing stories just for the times that I've been there. So I can only imagine how many Jim has. But there were two that I wanted to ask him about because uh, oh, I'll never I'll never forget. Wait, I'm uh- taking a swig of coffee. I feel <laughs> like I'm, I need support well, well- here. One is um, uh, about six years ago, I think. My friend Giuseppe Bausilio uh, came. I, I, came uh, I came to cast party with him and his mother. And Giuseppe had already sung there once or twice, and he had already been Billy Elliot and Billy Elliot and done. I think he was on his third Broadway show at that point, but he was only seventeen. And he came in. I remember he tried to he. he tried out a new song he was he sang walking happy uh Mm -hmm. and so we walk in and liza is there Mm. now giuseppe and his mother they they were from they're from switzerland so they know they have pockets of knowledge of american showbiz that there are people they they don't know that that we might be surprised but even they knew Liza and they were they were they couldn't believe it. So we didn't get a chance to say hi to her before because she was taking photos and, and everyone was crowding around and it just it didn't seem right. But they were so excited that she was there. Anyway, he got up and sang Walking Happy and he had just learned it and he stumbled slightly maybe twice during the song. It really wasn't bad. And he recovered immediately, but he's a perfectionist. So afterwards he was, he was really a little upset about it. And we were all sitting there and and we said, Oh, it was fine. It was really minor. Don't worry about it. And then, and then in typical fashion, I left. Well, apparently after (laughs) I left, after I left, Liza came over and sat in my chair Mm. and took Giuseppe by the hand and said, you have a beautiful voice. That was a wonderful performance. And don't worry about forgetting the lyrics, because I do it all the time.
4: Mm, come <laughs> on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she really is a magnificent audience member. Every time I've seen her, she has been so supportive. She claps like crazy. She cheers. I mean, she is such a great audience.
3: I have a question for everybody involved, except for, except for Michael. Mm-hmm. Has anybody ever seen Michael and Liza at the same place mm-hmm. at the same time? <laughs> I don't know what you're
6: you're implying there
3: there
1: is a resemblance from the in-theater days Yes, Uh, there is a resemblance
3: that's happened okay because all of a sudden Michael leaves and comes back dressed as Liza and says Giuseppe
6: (laughs) I didn't have that much time but isn't that he was of course they were thrilled you know they were just they They were so thrilled that she did that that was you so know, that's that 's something that I love to hear because I see what I see,
1: of course, but what i don 't know is what 's going on in the audience sometimes, what happens around the performance, what gets people there mm. they 've traveled here they 've been waiting for this forever it 's this incredible supportive, fun night, but i 'm not part of that i 'm just doing my you know hosting my little dog and pony show so I don't know so many of the details that happen, and that's so lovely to hear that.
3: Jim, let me ask you about something else. Um, uh, uh, Fortunately, this this summer we had uh, Billy Stritch on and was was able to talk with him, and you had mentioned that he's one of your closest friends in the world for a very long time, and he really can't stand you.
1: I understand that. Uh, that's what we have in we have that in common.
3: <laughs> Seriously, he said such <laughs> wonderful things about you. So tell us about what your first remembrances of Billy Stritch was and how you two met.
1: I'm laughing because I'm visualizing it. Uh, I was singing with a duo in Dallas, Texas, at a club. I mean, this was the '80s, kids. Um, <laughs> look it up. Um, I. Yeah. Okay. So the owner of the club came up to me and said, there's a trio here from Houston that is interested in doing a booking here. Would you mind if they did a number? And I felt very secure with myself and really good. You know, I felt like our <laughs> the act we were doing was very good and very witty and very <laughs> sophisticated. Um, doing our Donnie and Marie medley and um, <laughs> in our whorehouse medley. Don't forget that. And um, I said, oh, that would be fine. And they, they invited them up, or I invited them up. Ladies and gentlemen, Montgomery, Plant, and Stritch. These two gorgeous girls and the guy who was wearing big red glasses like Sally Jesse and a brooch <laughs> uh, on his, you know, in the middle of his shirt, like people did in the 80s, uh, came up on stage. And proceeded to slaughter the audience with their incredible arrangements, singing, comedy, beauty. I mean, everything we thought we were, they really were. (laughs) Wow. And the more they sang, the more the audience cheered, the more (laughs) I was shrinking in the corner with my piano player. We were like okay, what do we follow this up with? Um, And uh, I thought, and then I sat down with them on a break and Billy had a cigarette case, hello, and was pulling his cigarettes out of his silver cigarette case. (laughs) And I said, okay, I either need to kill you or we need to be best friends (laughs) because I've never heard harmonies like that. I don't know who the hell you are, but we have to know each other, and we started talking about the Carol Burnett show and Stephen Eady and uh our mutual love for Sonny and Cher. And uh, that was it. We have been BFFs, uh, I mean, it's almost 40 years, and we've followed each other around, we've sung together, we've uh certainly worked together over the past 20 years a lot, and between the Liza gig and all the Birdland gigs and the fact that I book him at Birdland and he books stuff that we do and our Christmas show. It's been an incredible, uh, friendship. And, you know, we always say we're, we're like brothers. He's the brother I never had.
3: Oh, that's really wonderful. He, he adores you. And, uh, it's so wonderful to hear the two of you, uh, have made, uh, such, such a great uh, artistic collaboration together, and all your albums. Uh, I, you, should, Jim, you have three albums, and all three of them with Billy. They- uh,
1: the first one, uh, live and in person, is yes with Billy.
3: The second
1: one, uh, Billy's on, but it's not. It's not just with Billy. Uh-huh. Then our Christmas album with Clea, mm-hmm. and guess what? We're about to do a, a new one. Uh, we recorded uh, the show we did at Bird in the Birdland Theater in 2019 uh we recorded it live just for fun during the pandemic i thought i need to listen to that because i don't think i'd ever pulled that out to to hear it and it sounded pretty good so i called our record company club 44 and said is this something they said this is something and so we're gonna release another live album
6: i'm so excited I recently saw Jim in Provincetown because he was there because Billy was playing for the great Marilyn May, who has also sung at Cast Party numerous times. Oh, yeah. We book her at Birdland a lot, too. Yeah. Oh, yes. And she's doing
3: New Year's Eve, correct? That's right. In the week after, get your tickets now.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, uh, Jim, I wanted to thank you so much for joining us on Broadway Radio. We have uh, the. Uh, Jim Carusco's cast party is back at Birdland Jazz Club uh, a, a few of the upcoming shows are September 13th, 20th and 27th, that's just, just tomorrow 13th, so you've got to get ready for that yeah, I'm and,
1: having my <laughs> hair <they're> done now
3: <laughs> and uh, we'll have links to that in the show notes, Jim thank you so much for joining us on Broadway Radio
1: are you kidding, thank you so much
2: crazy rhythm hits the doorway I'll go my way, you Crazy Rhythm, from now on we're through. Here is where we have a showdown. I'm too high, hat, you're too low down. Crazy Rhythm, here's goodbye to you. They say that when a highbrow meets a lowbrow, walking along Broadway, then the lowbrow, he is no brow. Ain't it a shame that you're to blame?
3: It has been a very long time since we've been able to give you a Broadway review. Hmm. But the four of us have gotten a chance to see Passover. So, Peter, why don't you get us started on the first play to return to Broadway?
4: I'm not trying to be funny with this, but um, I had an experience with Passover that I have sometimes when I'm walking down the streets of New York, uh, when I'm not sure if what I see up ahead is a garbage bag or a homeless person. And that image came up as soon as the curtain was raised, because mm-hmm. underneath the center lamppost, uh, which is basically all the set for a long time, um, there is something there. And I wasn't sure if, again, it was a garbage bag or a human being. And until there was movement, um, I, I wasn't sure. And I do believe that playwright Antoinette Chinoni uh, Nwanu and director, Dunya Taylor, um, may want us to wonder, because there's a lot of wonder that goes on in this play. And one of the reasons is the play is set uh, not in that specific setting only. Um, Looking at the uh, playbill, which I'm doing right now, it says time the future present. Future, by the way, is in um, parentheses. But also it says 2021, 1855, 1440 BC. So where is, where is it being set? It says the river's edge, but also a ghetto street, but also a plantation, but also a desert city built by slaves, and also the new world to come, worlds without end, which by the way is in two sets of parentheses. So this is a play that you're not necessarily asked to take literally, and yet There are moments where these two gentlemen are talking, Kitchen Moses. They're talking, and suddenly, kaboom, they just face forward, fourth wall, raise their hands high in the air, have frightened expressions on their faces, and um, we know that that's real. What's happening is the police are driving by, and they're taking no chances, because for all they know, there could be some sort of incident where the police presume that they're guilty um, without, of course, any chance that they might be innocent. As it turns out, we will see that moment played out much more dramatically than just that visual image, much more dramatically. We, I also have to wonder um, if indeed much of this is taking place in the guy's minds because suddenly a white guy shows up. And he has played astonishingly stereotypically. And I think that what the playwright is doing, and I'm guessing, is that um, these are the kids' assumptions of what a white privileged person would be. The playbill identifies him as Mr. And I don't think he's like any Caucasian who's ever been in a strange neighborhood and then encounters two black men. I hate to use the cliche, but he's never even frightened for an instant, which even I would think the most naive person would be. He explains he's on his way to his mother's house, a place where he says he's been before. So we can't imagine he got lost, but he says he got lost. Um, he's borderline effeminate, jutting out his chin when making a point and punctuating a line with a quick bend of the knees. And what's he? doing when he suddenly plops himself stomach down onto the pavement and moves his calves back and forth, back and forth. Um, He's a preppy who seems very unprepared. And as I say, he may not even be there. But what happens is before he arrives, there's a lot of talk about food. They fantasize about caviar and champagne. And they also make clear they settle for collard greens and pinto beans but here he comes with a basket that he says he's bringing to his mother it's a real red riding hood type basket and he puts it on the ground and he starts taking out all this food and just at the point when you say gee there can't be that much food in the basket (laughs) suddenly something happens that indicates to you that we're not seeing a realistic scene i don't want to give it away but he seems to be very willing to share the food with the guys and yet um, not long after, he's putting the food back in the basket. So statements are being made there too about um, whites who ostensibly want to give the black man something, but do not give the black man anything. So uh, so dramatic things do happen, and I'll tell you the penultimate scene in the play is so gripping and so surprising, even the set surprises you, that um, you're not sorry that you came to Passover. It's, uh, it's quite a punch in the stomach by the time it ends, and along the way, you really find that the playwright has established that these are very bright kids, very bright, and who knows what might have happened had they been given a different chance in life.
3: Hmm. All right, Jenna, what did you think about
5: this? Uh, I have to agree with Peter. I mean, the play is very much a punch in the stomach, but I never thought I'd welcome a punch in the stomach so much. Um, it is, first off, this play will always have a place in my heart as the first Broadway play I've seen in mm. Mm. almost what 550 days. Wow. So, just walking into the theater was emotional enough, and then the curtain went up and we were joking before we started recording that after the play, I went running next door to the Russian restaurant and just sat with my friend and we drank vodka and began analyzing the piece for hours and hours. And I haven't stopped analyzing and thinking about it since. It's just that kind of play that gets under your skin and into your mind and into your heart. And it's hard to shake off once you've seen it. Um, It felt very appropriate to have this be the first play to bring Broadway back from its, the longest closure the institution's ever had. Um, And uh, Ms. Nwandu's script is, it's an homage to some of the oldest stories in the Western world, and it's an homage to classic theater of the past. And it's somehow also a scathing reflection of contemporary America and you know to turn on the news and see school, bo- school boards yelling about we don't want critical race theory taught in our schools and then to see this incredibly powerful play dealing with the effects of people who don't uh, understand it's 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 brilliant and troubling um Uh, the play feels so contemporary. It's kind of hard to imagine that it was written any time before right now. And to my regret, I didn't get to see Passover at uh, Lincoln Center or at Steppenwolf or the Spike Lee film. Uh, I'd love to see how the play has changed over the years. Uh, I mean, it's what, four years ago, five years ago, I think. Uh, so the play has been around for a while. It's had a long journey to Broadway, and I'd love to learn more about what that journey was like and how current events affected the play as it grew and evolved. Um, and like much like Waiting for Godot, which is part of the inspiration, the play doesn't have a plot so much as a theme. Um, and I've never quite seen a theme so fast-moving and so intense. Uh, it's a play about hopes and dreams and dreams deferred and the people who crush other people's dreams and other people's hopes I mean, there's uh, as much as i love waiting for Godot, it's very much uh, that play is very much about post world war 2 europe and wrestling with the after effects of you know an incredible calamity that nearly you know, it caused so much damage that nearly destroyed Europe as we know it. Uh, you know, this is an incredible reflection, similarly to what America is going through right now, and I think it could easily have just as high a place as uh, as Beckett's masterpiece. Um, mm-hmm. I want to give you know, all. A lot of praise to uh, John Michael Hill and Namir Smallwood as the two leads. They give uh, Moses and Kitch the two men who are waiting and hoping for something, this incredible kinetic energy. They, they make every gesture and movement and expression just incredibly meaningful. It's hard to know where to focus on the stage when they weren't standing right next to each other because I didn't want to miss uh, a reaction from either of them and of course i had a tall person sitting in front of me so it was so hard for me to see the stage (laughs) it's really the kind of play where you don't want to miss a single gesture every single gesture just means something uh gabriel ebert's performance i don't want to say too much about them I, i thought his roles are so much better as surprises and i'm kind of glad i didn't know a lot about what he was going to do or say um i mean he's excellent he's terrifying uh, in very different ways, depending on which character he's playing, and I'm not entirely convinced that they're two different characters. Hmm. That's something to debate and discuss over vodka at the Russian place. Um, <laughs> and I'm really excited. Ebert's understudy is a woman. Yeah,
4: and that's something yeah, I was going to yes. mention that Andrea yeah. Yeah. Siglowski. Oh.
5: I want to go back and see it again yeah, so do the way I. she goes yeah. on yeah okay so we're making I. a date <laughs> if we hear she's going yep. on we're all going back because right. I really <laughs> want to see how a white woman in those roles uh changes the entire dynamic I mean that's ex- very excited to go back and see her no insult to Mr. Ebert of course but uh yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. really mm-hmm. excited to see her um And I also don't want to say too much about Wilson Chin's scenic design, because there are some Mm. great Mm. surprises in the Mm. set as the play Mm. goes on. I mean, the curtain went up, and I'm thinking, okay, it's waiting for Godot. It's this barren scape, and then it's not. And uh, Marcus Doshi's lighting just switches from icy cold to this comforting warmth that may not be all that comforting. I loved the street lamp that's replaced uh, Beckett's single spare tree. mm -hmm. I loved I'm, I'm a nerd. I've been following the shift of lighting in urban hubs from the sodium lights that give that amber glow to the cold LED bright white lights mm. and how they affect uh, urban scapes as you're walking around at night. What has the clearer light? What's painful to the eyes? There's so many pros and cons for each type of light. And the single light on that stage just keeps shifting from moment to moment, from that warm, comforting amber to that cold, harsh LED white, and it just has such a—it's like a perfect example of how lighting can look so simple, but it can have such a great effect on on the moments. Uh, The sound design too—I mean, it's uh, uh, Justin Ellington did the sound design, and it just sounds like everything from an urban street corner to a lush plantation to the winds of a desert city it's great work uh, Serafina Bush's costumes uh, I kind of feel like I'd be spoiling some things again if I said too much about them but again very very effective um, and I think a lot of this you know, we can credit to Dania Taymor who's apparently been involved in the show for quite a while and has been part of this project as it grows and develops uh, it really, her direction alternates between really rapid fire, and then deceptively languid. And the tension just builds and builds, and then it either explodes into some kind of action, or it releases with some moment of comedy that lets us laugh and diffuse the situation. Slow burn, but very effective. And the whole evening is like this great example of when the right director gets the right script and the writer and the director can work together and collaborate to just build this piece together. So really great work. Uh, I I, I can't emphasize enough how important it is that Passover is on Broadway right now. It isn't a comfortable or easy evening at the theater, but It's just—it's an important piece, especially for white audiences. If we want to be allies, if we want to get some kind of understanding of what our Black friends and neighbors have been dealing with for centuries, this is the kind of play we need to see. This is the kind of theater we need to be supporting. I hope to God this play gets produced in every regional theater around the country, every community theater that has been thinking, we should do Waiting for Godot, do this one instead. Um, I have not seen any of Ms. Duandu's other plays, but now I really want to find them. I want to see what else she's created. Um, this feels like the the arrival of this fantastic new talent. I'm so eager to see what else she has done and what she does next. Hmm.
3: All right, Michael, what did you think?
6: Well, I would echo a lot of what both Jenna and, and uh, Peter said. I um, i'm i 'm too I too have not seen any of the previous productions or the film, and i 'm curious about the changes so I think i 'm going to have to read up on that more i i don 't even think I fully understand how many changes have been made uh, you know the extent of the changes so uh that's something i'm, I'm curious to find out about uh the film ha- have has anyone seen the film no i didn't even know uh, it was one and yeah i was good. my next question was was it a, a film that was released to theaters or did it happen during p- the pandemic or did it just go you know was it hbo or no, no. Was, uh, it was uh, a, spike-
3: oh, Is it a spike spike lee film yes right spike lee yeah it was on uh, amazon Oh, okay. But oh, okay. uh, I, I yeah. think it came out in 2018.
6: Oh, oh, all right. Yeah, well, I, I, I'll look it, it up. Hold on a second. Let me. Yeah, 2018. I just found it. You found it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So I guess that would be another way for me to to get an idea of what kind of changes have been made, if any. I just really loved it. I, I think like all of us, it would have been emotional to be back in a the Broadway theater seeing anything. But mm-hmm. I was so grateful that it was such a good play. And such a good production, so there was that on top of it. It wasn't just you know the experience <laughs> of being there i um, I think it's great that of the of the two Well, of the the three cast members, Namir Smallwood is making his Broadway debut uh, as Kitsch. I think that's great. And John Michael Hill, I looked it up, only had one previous Broadway credit, Superior Donuts. Uh, And then they're both extraordinary. So it's great to have them. And Gabriel Ebert, I thought he was just great as both of these characters. Uh, As the Mr. character, it was so wonderful how there was so much humor in the character, but there was always this underlying undercurrent of you you didn't know what was going to happen next, and you... You thought there was going to be something horrible uh, happening or said between him as he, you know, him and Moses and Kitch as they're talking. There's this incredible sequence, which I'm sure you all uh, remember, mm-hmm. where um, they are. There's a discussion of the N word mm-hmm. and whether or not, you know, who, who's allowed mm-hmm. to say it, mm-hmm. if anyone is allowed to say it and the, and. And there's a part of it where Moses and Kitsch try to get Mr. to say it. And I was on the edge of my seat. Uh, I'm I'm sure we all were. Uh, I think he goes so far as maybe saying the first syllable before he stops himself. Mm -hmm. Um, It was it was. Absolutely amazing. And then the other role, without, you know, giving us any spoilers, which I appreciate that Jenna didn't. The other role that Gabriel Ebert plays, if it if it in fact it is another role, Mm -hmm. is um, is a police officer called Ossifer. And he was extremely menacing, as you might imagine, in in this context. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful play. I I would like to read it now that I've seen it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and i think it's while you certainly don't have to have seen waiting for godot i think it does h- help and amplify the experience just to the extent of seeing how this playwright riffs on that and and starts you know starts with that as a as a basis but then just really uh, makes it her own and and, and and lets this play go off into its own places where it needs to go. Uh, I, I really, I just loved it. So um,
3: it looks like uh, uh, Dania Taymor was the co-director with Spike Lee on the film. Ah. Uh, and uh, it starred uh, John Michael Hill, Julian Parker, and Ryan Hallahan. So, uh, interesting, one of the uh, reviews at, um, at uh, IMDb, not IBDB, but IMDb says it's a bad theater play. And this huh. is from, from years and years ago. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's not a movie, it's a bad theater play. Uh,
6: well, also, do any of you know if it was one of those films that's actually a film of a stage production?
3: No, because- it looks like it's, uh,
6: it's a regular Oh,
3: okay. it, do- it doesn't look like it was shot on stage from the okay. the production photos, so uh I am so excited that you guys uh went before me and <laughs> explain explain this to me because I got none of it I, <laughs> yeah. I got and 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 I'm not sure it's just because my theater muscles are not uh-huh. in uh, tip top shape, but I was like I came out of the theater and I was at a total loss. I was like, mm. I, I didn't get this, but now in retrospect and having, uh, especially, especially, Peter explained the timeline that was right in the playbill that was in my hand <laughs> yeah, it, 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 <laughs> I mean those playbills are helpful
4: they are but um, yeah, I mean I it, it, you have the experience that so many other people have too uh, people um, just get there on time and they're talking and suddenly the curtain goes up so um, yeah maybe there's a lesson learned there that uh, checking the playbill mm. because at least you'd know you, you were in for a very surreal ride if you had seen those um, t- uh, descriptions
6: i do wonder i wonder what's why specifically uh the playwright mentions for 1440 bc B- yeah. 1440 bc mm-hmm. bce uh,
4: bce yeah. B.C. Uh, is a term used by people who don't want to have a religious reference Ah, uh, yeah yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Before the
5: common era yeah yeah right yeah.
4: before the common era right <sighs> So, uh, and Jenna brought up the
3: a- Andrea Siglowski um, understudy, and I, I, as you all mentioned, I'd like to go back and see that as well, because I think that that is an interesting twist on this, and, and how long is, has she been involved with this production, or is this a, a, a nod towards a new Broadway or a new way of thinking about inclusion on Broadway? Does
4: anybody know if that's ever happened before? Uh, Maybe there have been a million of those, but um, of uh, a person of a different sex uh, being an understudy to. uh,
3: I've seen it where they've put the stage manager in as the understudy to save money, never uh, never expecting the stage manager to go on because the stage manager is under equity contract, and you can do that. I see, but I've I've never seen it on that I can recall on this level.
4: Can either of you? I, know.
5: Off I it, of my head. I,
6: I seem to remember that there was one, but I can't think of what it was. <laughs> mm-hmm.
4: Ironically, since we're talking about black and white issues, um, back in 1965, 64 uh, maybe, The Owl and the Pussycat, um, Bill right. Mannhoff uh, wrote it, uh, not thinking of a black woman in mind, just uh, by all means, let's just uh, write a play about two white people. And Diana Sands, uh, who was in the original cast of Raisin in the Sun, was so good at the audition they just felt they had to cast her and her understudy i know was a white woman Mm -hmm. so um so that's a variation on the theme but i don't know about this but um but i'm telling you yes whoever finds out about that we we definitely have to see the understudy well and i'm ashamed to say that i didn't even notice that so i'm glad you all pointed it
6: out because i didn't Uh read the understudy list
4: yeah
5: 1440s bce would that be around the time of the exodus
4: it must have something to do with that, you know, because there's so many, th- you know, in terms of Passover too is right, um, and
6: they're trying to they're trying to get out, they're yeah. trying to Passover, yeah, right.
4: so. yeah.
3: Oh, interesting. All right, so that is Passover is playing at the August Wilson through October 10th, and uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Um, michael you're going to get a chance to see uh, a screening of the dear evan Hansen movie that is coming out with a talk back from the cast
6: yeah apparently uh, tonight at the ninety second street y i uh, at five thirty um such an event is happening and i and i'm going and it's i mean i was really curious to see it anyway, but now uh even, this could be quite singular because the uh, the movie opened at the Toronto Film Festival and uh, the the advance reviews at least a few of them have been extremely negative uh so i wonder what that's going to be like in, especially in terms of the cast <laughs> the q and a uh, uh so uh, i will i'll report on that maybe next week i d- i also don't understand um uh the reviews i've seen so far have only been uh, kind of like secondary or you know smaller uh outlets uh, no major reviews like from the la times or the the new york times or v- v- variety or the hollywood reporter or anything of those i don't i don't understand why that i mean so, so does that mean that the smaller people from the smaller uh outlets went to the toronto film festival or did they or why did only they review it so far does anyone do, do any of you have any background on that
3: no, I'd imagine I'd imagine it's just because it's at the Toronto Film Festival and it's a musical movie and there's not the budget to fly their arts critics up to see it. I uh, I would imagine, but I would I would guess that as it opens up on wider screens that uh that you know the major outlets will review it.
4: Well, it may also be that these people um, that you're talking about, Michael, who did go up there were as hungry as we were to see live theater. They want to see um, a a film festival. It's been a long time. It could even be as simple as that. Who knows?
6: Oh, it could be. Or maybe they uh, maybe they did get screeners and they they felt it was OK to to review it now because it debuted at the film festival. But uh, but I don't know why the other the larger venues would wait is my my point. Yeah. I thought um, I
4: saw a variety review, but I could be wrong.
6: Oh um, well, I could be wrong too. But I I, 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 the ones I saw were only the smaller venues. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, I, I usually get screeners, and
3: th- this one didn't come my way. Uh-huh. Yeah. So So okay. uh, I, I don't know if there were or were not, but Riev, uh, yeah, report back next week, and uh, let's see how this how this goes. Hands out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Peter, you were not with us last week because you no. were in South Carolina uh, seeing Evita.
4: So tell us about this. You know, uh, once again, let me reiterate that <clears throat> community theater uh, offers so many pleasures that people uh, may sneer at uh, thinking, no, it can't be true. There there are people who are post office workers and what have you during the day. <laughs> no. No really I, I maintain that so many people are uber talented and just opted for different um, different life and this was certainly made clear with david mcLaughlin 's uh, production of Avita uh, um, at Bear Stage Productions. Now, it was clear from the outset because the harmony and the opening chorus was was glorious, but more to the point, out comes a gentleman named Carlos Nieto and What's so great is that he does nothing that Mandy Patinkin did. It may even be a case where um, Mr. McLaughlin said to his cast, do not listen to any albums. I don't want you to. I want you to interpret this music your way because I didn't hear a single Mandy Patinkin, um intonation whatsoever. And I'm not, this is not judgment against Mr. Petenkin, Not at all. All I'm saying is it's very nice to hear a completely different take and this guy was sensational. Now, cer- certainly, uh, very quickly thereafter, we uh, we do meet um, Ava Alyssa Harrell, who uh, was so magnificent in "I'd Be Surprisingly Good for You." I mean, the seduction was there; it was so wonderful. You could see what she was doing, and yet she wanted to be subtle because she didn't want to come on too strong, as even the lyric suggests. Uh, but before that, you know, she consorts with Magaldi and Joshua Broom. What a voice! Oh, my God, what a voice. Yeah. And that wonderful song, um, the Thousand Stars song, uh, which I'm convinced if you if you know songs from way back when was based on Cherry Pink and Apple Blossom White. I think that was uh, Mr. Lloyd Webber's um, um, model. Um, terrific. And, and just when you think that uh, it can't get any better, out comes Olivia Ganey um, doing The Mistress. Um, singing uh, the suitcase song, and uh, whoa, you know uh, this girl really has a future, and um, you know you wish all of them would move to new york um, the The imperiousness of C- Stephen Tarno as Peron um, was was wonderful too, and frankly the the famous uh, musical chair sequence. Really had you guessing as to which one of them was Perone, because uh, <laughs> any of them really could convincingly be one. Which I thought was uh, very clever in Mister McLaughlin's direction. So it was a great experience. But it, by the way, James, it was not the only experience I had because when I got down there, I found that uh, the Footlight Players, ninety seasons. I mean, what does that tell you about a community theater? Wow, uh, was doing Ruthless and. Um, Now, I will admit that Ruthless is a show that I saw way back when, when they did um, their presentation at the um, National Alliance uh, in a small room in a building that doesn't exist anymore uh, on 42nd Street and um it was 90 minutes and out and it was terrific laura bell bundy laura bundy at the time in fact um was uh the kid uh playing uh tina denmark who will do anything to get this part uh, it's it's loosely based on the bad seed i mean for example um penmark is the name of the family in the uh bad seed but um what was interesting about that first reading by the way was the fact that Sylvia Miles played um, Lita Encore, who's uh, an agent who believes that uh, (laughs) Tina has a future. So it was Sylvia Miles, but then it became Joel Vig, and here too um, a gentleman was used um, to play the part of uh, Sylvia St. Croix, as it is, Matthew Willingham was his name, terrific performance, wonderfully, wonderfully detailed. Um, And um, while they didn't use a little girl to play Tina, Jenny um, did. she was (laughs) very good at Being a little girl without saying, oh, uh, I'm winking, I'm being a little girl, which was really quite wonderful. And, um, but I wish. I wish that the two authors, um, uh, Marvin Lynn and Joel Paley, had not been talked into doing a second act that takes place years later when you see the kid out of prison and all that. Um, Nevertheless, if you're going to do Ruthless, um, you're going to uh, do this two-act version because that's what's available. And um, certainly um, Kyle Barnett, who directed, and um, uh, Kay Thorne, who was the musical director, did such a wonderful job that um, I, I didn't really really resent the fact that um it wasn't 1991 and i wasn't seeing the original production but um brian porter who's the executive director there is really doing a terrific job in keeping this um <laughs> this place going uh he's been there four years now this place going uh into what will soon be a second century is that something
3: wow all right. So that's your uh, wrap-up from your tour of South oh, Carolina. Charleston,
4: Charleston, by the way, I should say. I didn't even mention that, but it's Charleston, South Carolina. Pretty Which city, it, good food.
3: Uh, did it remind <laughs> you of Grand Hotel?
4: <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, it's, it's funny you mention that because I got a script to A Wonderful Life, the um, – uh, Sheldon Harnock, Joe Raposo play. And there's a funny song in there called Charleston saying which Charleston do they mean. Do they mean them in South Carolina? Do they mean West Virginia? You know, it's a great song. A very clever idea. And of course, it's Sheldon Harnock. So why wouldn't it be? <laughs>
3: All right, so before we wrap up for today and get on to trivia and our musical moment, I'd like to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link that way. each and every time we, uh, we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to listen to us. Uh, Stitcher plays us. Um, iHeartRadio plays us. Tune in. All the uh, places that you can get, find our podcast, you can get Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Jennifer, Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. So, Peter, do you have an answer for last week's trivia?
4: If Julie Jordan and Carousel had decided after she married Billy Bigelow to use the initials of her first name and maiden name, she'd be J.J. Bigelow, right? Well, I was looking for another character in a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical who, if she did the same thing with her name, would then have the same name of a British novelist who used his initials before his last name. One of his novels was adapted into an early 60s Broadway play that retained the novel's name. In the play was an actress who was later in a David Merrick Tony losing musical of the 60s, and it was an actor who portrayed a playwright in a famous 20th century film that was later adapted into a famous 21st century musical. Well, Paul Witte was the first to answer within minutes of the questions being asked. He knew that I was talking about another carousel character, Carrie Pipperidge Snow. He knew that she'd be C.P. Snow, whose 1960 novel, The Affair, became a 1960 play. He knew that in its cast, Brenda Vaccaro, who would be in Merrick's How Now Dow Jones in 1967, he knew that The Producers was the 20th century film with a playwright that became a 21st century Broadway hit. And then he spoiled it all (laughs) by identifying Christopher Hewitt, as the playwright of Springtime for Hitler. No, no. Mm. Hewitt was the show's <laughs> director, Roger Debris. Kenneth Mars was the playwright in the film. Truth to tell, I didn't notice that you was, was indeed in the cast of The Affair with Ficaro and Mars. Had I seen that, I would have mentioned it. Uh, that Mr. Witte was the first to answer reminded me of that kid in school who always was the first to finish a test and would rush up to the teacher's desk in triumph only to find out later. Well, you get the point. Anyway, Tony Janicki was the first to correctly answer every question. Everyone, as did Jack Leshner. Jack, by the way, made a funny observation. He said this was like playing Hangman. The more clues you get, you know, the easier it was to <laughs> figure out. And uh, many people said to me that um, that clue about uh, the famous movie being a 21st century uh, Broadway hit musical was the one that really uh, tucked them in. So, um, Ian Tweedy, Brigadude, Nikki Juven, Haley Huxley, and Ingrid Gamma, among the others. This week's question A very famous musical has three songs, each of which mench- mentions the name of a different nationality. By nationality, I mean song titles like Arabian Nights from Aladdin, An Irish Girl from Irene. Japanese Sandman from Day in Hollywood. But I'm talking about one show that has three songs, each of which mentions a different nationality. But when the film version was made, all three songs were dropped. What's the show? What are the three songs that mention three different nationalities?
3: All right. If you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's uh, musical moment?
6: Well, speaking of the film version of the producers, uh, our musical moment this week features someone who was unforgettably featured in that film, uh, Arthur Rubin. Mm who uh <laughs> who comes on and says I can't remember the exact line but uh this is, these are the auditions for Springtime for Hitler and he comes on and he says I was the lead tenor of the Albuquerque Opera Company or something like that <laughs> and then he sings uh a little bit of Oh Wandering Minstrel I, and he's cut off after five words. Uh and they say thank you and then he goes off. But that was <laughs> Arthur Ruman's most memorable film role, as far as I know. But he had, I I, I couldn't count exactly, he had about 75 Broadway credits. Now, how how is that possible, you ask? Uh, That's because not only was he a (laughs) performer, he was also a stage manager, a theater owner operator, uh, in that he worked for the Mm Niederlanders, a general manager, and a producer. Uh, So, in one of those capacities or more, he was involved in 75 plus Broadway productions. Uh, His five first credits alone. Uh, just to give you an idea, our, his first credit was Two on the Isle in 1951. Then he was in Can Can. Uh, then he was in Silk Stockings and was also the assistant stage manager <laughs> of that show. And then uh, I, I guess maybe his most famous Broadway credit, mm. he was in The Most Happy Fella as Giuseppe, uh, one of the three Italian servants, Tony's three Italian servants. But he was also the assistant. Stage manager of that show, uh, incredibly. And on and on and on. His last Broadway credit was in 1993 as uh, a, a, a producer of Ain't Broadway. Grand, uh, but he really had a beautiful, beautiful voice. And our musical moment this uh, this week is an excerpt of him singing softly, as in a morning sunrise, from the New Moon, uh, and op- the operetta The New Moon. And this, uh, I think, recording w- was was from the mid '60s, sometime or the early '60s. But just listen to it and hear. You know, he really could sing beautifully you know in a legit way not not necessarily in a in a more comic way as he did in the in that unforgettable
4: cameo in the producers movie speaking of cameos let's not forget that he was in follies in concert as well I ah, yes. um and um roscoe beautiful girls so uh and two productions <laughs> right the, yeah. the the 85 concert sure. mm-hmm. and then uh what was the other one oh encores right right mm-hmm. yeah so, uh, and, and I've always had an image of uh, when they're sitting around and, and I, I always feel it was Songtime who said, let's get out the Ruben to sing Beautiful Girls. Uh, again, I have no idea that that happened. It's just uh, <laughs> there's an image in my head of doing it, uh, of hearing that. So, uh, so yes, indeed. <laughs> All right. So
3: on behalf of Jenna Fox, Peter Felicia, Michael Portantier and me, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway videos this week on Broadway. Bye. bye bye
0: forever forever So as in a morning a sunrise the light of love comes stealing into a newborn day oh. With all the glow of a sunrise, a burning kiss is sealing the vow that all betray. For the passions that thrill love and lift you high to heaven are the passions that kill love and let you. Sunset, the light that gave you glory will take it all.